This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Healdsburg, California and the Hotel Le Mar, or Le Mars. I gotta tell you, this is such a cute place. I'm not just talking about the hotel, I'm talking about the community. It's walkable. In fact, I insist you walk it. It's always a voyage of discovery. It's manageable, great food. Of course, you know where we're coming from. Great wine, great cheese, even great meat. Especially cured meats they do up here as well. Joining me now is someone I've known for a number of years. A writer from New York originally, but he's been in Healdsburg now for 11 years. So who better to tell me what's going on than Matt Villano? How are you, man? I'm great, Peter. Thanks for having me. I mean, a New York transplant. You moved to California, then to Seattle, then you came back. Why Healdsburg? 
Well, originally we had come here because my wife took a job at the junior college down in Santa Rosa, and she got the job. We were living down on the peninsula south of San Francisco, and as soon as I knew that Santa Rosa Junior College was in the running uh, as a future employer of hers, I said, you know, there's one town up there that is pretty awesome, and this was 11 years ago, uh, and it was Healdsburg, and we I, we came okay, up. So I got to ask that question. Yeah. What made it that awesome 11 years ago? Well, I mean, it was the only place uh, in this part of Sonoma County where you had what I like to call the tri Effecta. Great wineries, great restaurants, and a whole bunch of stuff to do outdoors. And um, it was also the kind of small town where I knew I wanted to raise my kids. And uh, luckily, my wife agreed. And so um, we didn't set our sights anywhere else. We, we knew this is where we wanted to come. We only looked at houses in this community. We were unfortunate. Unfortunately, we were stupid uh, enough to buy our home just before uh, the, the market crashed. So um, it took us a couple of years to make right on that, but uh, I don't regret our decision. And uh, You hung in there. We hung in there, and I don't want to live anywhere else. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy if we stayed here for the rest of our lives. What's the thing that, other than the trifecta, because you're not the only person to figure that out. So the challenge, if I were living here, for me would be, how do you protect yourself from over-tourism? Yeah, it's a big problem that we're faced with right now. Um, don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I think the biggest issue for our community is uh, is uh, is equity, housing equity. It's uh, it's coming up with uh, affordable places for the people who work in our restaurants, the people who work at our wineries, and the people who uh, run our uh, local adventure travel outfitters, uh, homes they can afford so that they can actually live in the community as well as work here. I mean, you do run the risk of pricing yourself out of the market. Yeah, that's a big problem. And it's a problem that we're trying to solve. Um, I think we've we've sort of approached the problem in fits and starts. And um, luckily now there are some homes that uh, are, are, are more affordable that are being constructed uh, and should be coming in, uh, coming up onto the market in the next couple of years. You've lived here for 11 years. Stupid question. Have you been to all the wineries? No. No. And I don't know if it's possible. Um, you know, some of the best places to taste local wine these days actually are, are in warehouses. Um, there's a great spot down in Windsor that opened recently. Uh, it's called Grand Cru, and um, it actually is a place uh, for a number of smaller boutique wineries that uh, don't have their own tasting rooms yet but uh, still want to taste wine. Uh, it's a place for them to, to go and, and book appointments uh, with some of their customers. And, I mean, there's six or seven wineries under that one roof down there. So, you know, you, I'm sure there are wineries in our community that I don't even know about. And I've been writing about this town for more than a decade. Same thing with restaurants. No. You've been to, you've been to all the restaurants. I'm, I've, been to, I've been to most of them. And, um, you know, I, I, there's a restaurant for every palate here and for every price point. I mean, we've got one of the greatest and most exciting restaurants in all of America two blocks from where we're sitting right now. It's called Single Thread. But uh, the, What makes it so exciting? Well, the, the, really what makes it so exciting is the creativity behind the food there. Uh, uh, Chef Kyle Connaughton uh, trained uh, in Japan. He uh, perfected and, and sharpened his craft in, in England. And uh, he and his wife, Katina, are just approaching food in a way that nobody else really has. Uh, they, they really are uh, spotlighting and, and, and making their own uh, some concepts uh, in dining that you only find in Japan, and yet they're putting a California Sonoma County spin on those to create something really special and exciting. They've got they've got a bunch of Michelin stars. Uh, they, uh, but, but the the one uh, I guess issue for a lot of local folks is that um, to eat there it, it costs two hundred and ninety bucks just for the meal. That's before the food pairing. So. You know, we've been there. We like we, we like that place. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we love getting pizza at Giorgio's. It's almost amazing when you think about how many Michelin stars there are in Hillsburg. I think it's eight. Unheard of. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And what's really great is that 
um, at least two of the places. Uh, I, I think most people uh, could come here and 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 not even uh, not even visit. Uh, you know, one of them shed. Basically, uh, we could throw a baseball from where we're sitting uh, to this place. Uh, Perry Hoffman made a name for himself over at Etoile in the Napa Valley. Took a couple years to just, uh, you know, hang out, sharpen his craft. And now he's running one of, I think, the most underrated and underappreciated restaurants in our whole town. And when you go to that restaurant, what do you order? You know, I try and order something that includes ingredients from what uh, the owners uh, over there, Cindy Daniel and Doug Lipton, call their home farm. Uh, I think it's something like 65 to 75% of the produce on the menu is grown there on their farm, which, uh, you know, I know farm to table is a big deal these days, but very few restaurants actually use that much produce that is quite literally farm to table. Not to mention it's their farm. Exactly. And uh, and uh, it's uh, Perry has really done an expert job in, in making those items, the stars of the show over there, but uh, obviously doing so with his deft touch. You mentioned Giorgio's for pizza earlier. Oh, yeah. How many different kinds of cuisine are actually in this town? Because, you know, the best Italian food I ever had was in Lucerne, Switzerland. Who knew, right? The best Chinese I had was in Amman, Jordan. How did that happen? Right. right? Welcome to globalization. So what am I going to find that surprises me here in Hillsburg? Surprising. I mean, I love our little Thai restaurant. It's called Thai Orchid. It's over in the Safeway Shopping Center. Um, no one else in my family li- likes curry, so I-, I do some takeout from there at least once a week. But, you know, what we need, Peter, is a good Jewish deli. Uh, uh. I- I'm a New York kid, and uh, we've got one guy in town who's making bagels. It's sort of a home delivery service, but it's not the same. Well, first of all, no bagels are as good as two locations in the world, Montreal and New York, because it's the water. That's what everybody says. It is. You can't, you know, you go, to, you go to Fairmount in Montreal or any bagel place in New York, we're done. So nobody should even attempt to do bagels west of the Hudson River. Yeah. But in terms of surprising, um, my favorite pl- place in town, it's not a, not a restaurant in the sense that you can get a meal there, but it's an ice cream shop, an artisanal ice cream. Uh, it's called Noble Folk uh, Ice Cream and Pie Bar. And uh, not only are the flavors amazing. Pie bar. Well, it's great. You can get a slice of pie and then get it a la mode with this homemade ice cream. But uh, the guys behind the place are really cool, cool kids. Uh, they're young. Uh, they, uh, uh, they, they, they're, they're hungry. Pun intended. There, they've got a cupcake shop in town, and um, and they're just they're they're really uh, respectable, uh, exciting members of our community. And uh, and so uh, I, I couldn't recommend that place highly enough. My kids love the Lucky Charms ice cream there. So <laughs> sorry to hear that. Hey, bottom line is listen to this voice. Listen to this voice. Um. Thank you. Back to you now, Matt. I'm presuming they're making their own ice cream. They are. With a high concentration of my two favorite words, butter fat. You know, I actually am not up to speed on, on sort of what goes in there, but I do know that the flavors are flavors that I've not had before. Like I mentioned Lucky Charms. It's made with the marshmallows of uh, Lucky Charms cereal, and the ice cream itself, I believe, is the flavor of cereal milk. Um, they're doing some really neat things with Asian flavors. They've got black sesame and strawberry miso. They used to have this Japanese... Strawberry miso? It's really yummy. Yeah. Come on. They used to have a Japanese purple yam that was just amazing. Um, and uh, it's it's a great spot. If you haven't been over there, Peter, maybe that would uh, help your voice a little bit. Yeah, it's just what I need is miso strawberry. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass on that right now. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a rum raisin, cherry vanilla, strawberry... Of course, uh, caramel cone. If you're going the Hagen Dazs. Okay. Yeah. I think they. I think they could hook you up with something. Something good over there. All right. What's the biggest surprise restaurant in town for you? 
biggest surprise restaurant in town. Well, you know, I love what's going on at the Brass Rabbit, which uh, is a restaurant uh, that's helmed by a, a, a great young new chef. Shane McAnelly is his name. He's also the chef at Chalkboard, which uh, is just behind the doors, uh, just just beyond the doors behind you. And uh, he's doing really new and innovative spins on classics. So he's got a beef Wellington that's really interesting. And um, he makes the best burger in town, which, you know, again, I think would surprise some people because people think, oh, burgers, let's go to one of the pubs. But it's it's a chain's place and uh, and uh, it's it's the kind of burger you could eat five or six nights a week and not get tired of. Let's get out of the restaurant scene for a second and talk about the art scene. You have an art after dark program. We do. We do. Yeah. And, um, you know, to me, w what's great about this town is the sculpture situation. Uh, we've got uh, some, some great sculptures, not only in Healdsburg, but up north of Healdsburg and Geyserville. Um, the Voigt family has a, has a foundation that has a bunch of sculptures uh, on site. And um, uh, I, I don't know how open to the public that property is, but um, there is a property that, uh, that also has some sculptures that uh, I, bl I believe they have uh, public walks. Uh, that, that people can sign up for as well. But you see, that's the best part of this place called Healdsburg. You can walk it. You don't have to drive. Certainly walkable. You can you can come up here, get a, get a lift from the Santa Rosa airport, and uh, not get back in the car again until you're ready to head home. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. to tell you the very first place I always go when I'm coming to a new city town village location is not the Chamber of Commerce it's not the Convention of Visitors Bureau it's the firehouse because the men and women there they've been in everybody's hotel they've been in everybody's house they've been in everybody's restaurant plus they know where to eat they've got it all they are the best guides ever and unless they're out on a call they're happy to share that information so it's my pleasure to welcome aboard the Hillsburg Fire Department Chief Jason Boas, how are you, Chief? I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, thank you for having me, and welcome to uh, beautiful Hillsburg. Yeah, well, listen, you're, you're, a la you're a native. I am, yes. Born and raised. Born and raised in Sonoma County, that's correct. 20 years on the, jo on the job. That's correct, yeah. We were talking earlier in the show, and we'll continue to talk about the fires that happened. I'm sure that involved you guys. It did. On a mutual aid basis all over town. Yes, absolutely. I'm on a fire department where we mutual aid with 12 other departments, so we're always getting banged out. But in a situation like this, when you have kindling like you had, you had wind, you had uh, no rainfall, you had your work cut out for you. We sure did. It was, a, it was quite an event. And really, like you said, all that stuff kind of came into the alignment uh, that night with the, the high winds were probably the biggest factor, the steep topography, the dry fuels, and the, the rate of spread of that fire was just something that we're not used to seeing in, in Northern California. There was a fire not far from here, many years ago, when I was a correspondent for Newsweek, called the, uh, Mar the Fire of Marble Cone up in Monterey. And because I was also a firefighter, they let me go in with the, with the, with the firefighters, not just as a journalist. And I honestly should not have gone in because I wasn't prepared for what I saw and what I experienced. 
when you tell somebody that a fire is moving at two and a half miles an hour, that doesn't seem very fast. It's really fast. And especially if you have wind and the wind shifts, you can get easily trapped. And that's what happened to our team. We had to dig holes. We had to literally use the shovels and bury ourselves and have the fire come over us. Not a pleasant thing. Uh, yeah, no. Right? Right. That's not the kind of situation you want to get yourself But in. when you add the wind factor in, anything can happen. Yeah. And I'm very grateful and a little bit surprised that there were not any firefighter injuries or fatalities on this is on any of the, the fires during that firestorm, specifically the, the Tubbs fire that our, our crews were on because they were experiencing such uh, rapid fire growth and spread, just trying to get people out of the way that there were, there were a lot of close calls, uh, literally a lot of stories of people that didn't even know the fire was approaching until law enforcement or firefighters were pounding on their doors, waking them up and getting them out of the way as their yards were catching on fire. And what people don't realize, and we've had it happen on our, in our department as recently as last year, you see a fully involved fire and the wind picks up and a lot of fuel, dry, one ember can ignite somebody else's roof like that. And next thing you know, you have to give up territory. It's like a war. You literally have to retreat and just give up territory to save everything around it. Right, yeah, and in the early stages of that fire, I mean, most of the night, it was, the focus was on evacuation. There wasn't really any firefighting. I mean, it's, it, it's almost impossible to fight a fire on 70 mile an hour winds. Um, you know, our, our number one con concern in the fire service is always life safety, and, and that's what most of the early hours of that fire were. We're just trying to get people out of the way. The optics of those fires, though, Chief, was that, or were, that all of Sonoma was destroyed, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't, and I think it's Im important that uh, we get that message out. I mean, it, obviously, there was a lot of concern about... You know, all the wineries burned down, all the vineyards burned up. But that's, I mean, that's not the case. Of course, I mean, there, we lost a lot of acreage in the fires, but uh, business, and we lost businesses too, but there are a lot of still businesses that are still thriving, you know, and there's no reason why people should think that Sonoma County got wiped out by that. You know, we're recovering well, and, and uh, we're still up and running. Now, your service mandate with your department is you're covering like 65 square miles. That's correct. Well, the city of Hillsburg is about four and a half square miles, but under contract with the county, we, yeah, we cover another 65 square miles just to the west and to the east of us. Wow. That's a lot of territory. It is. It's a pretty large territory to cover. How many houses? How many houses? How many firehouses? Uh, we have one fire station right now staffed right here in downtown. And how many members? Uh, 13. And we have 13 paid and 21 reserve firefighters or volunteer firefighters. Now we're talking, ladies and gentlemen, 74% yeah. of all firefighters in America are volunteer. Right. And that remains the case here in Hillsburg. We have, like I said, we have 21 active reserve firefighters. And the, the function they stir, serve for us is to, you know, they, anytime we have a fire, of course, they're, they're here to take out our second, third, fourth out piece of equipment. But they also cover the station uh, for second calls in district. It's really... I don't know how we would make it through without them. They really provide the backbone to our department. And my guess is they were all busy. They are all very busy, yeah. And they're all, a lot of them are business owners here in town, um, students here in town. Oh, listen, so. the guys in my fire department, the guys, listen to me, my God. 
the guys in my fire department and the women. They're the butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, the plumbers, the electricians. The biggest joke for me is when I get a, when we get banged out and I got to go on a call, I finally find the plumber that could come over to my house at the end of it to fix something. It's the same, it's the same way here. We have a, a very wide skill set of people that come into the fire department from people that know how to make wine to people that know how to weld to people that know how to work on cars and you know like and all that know, and all that comes in handy in a fire let me tell you it does and as I you know had, we're all in one big happy family i had an emergency in my house in new york where the pipes burst and i wasn't in the house at the time and i came back a half an hour later to find waterfalls coming through every wall and ceiling and it was zero degrees outside five feet of snow on the ground i knew if i called the fire department the plumbers there knew where the mains were, and they saved the house. Yeah, and we have some people that are electricians on the side, and I can't tell you how big of a help that is on some, some calls, as you know. Oh, man, you have, you have a fire. You better know how to cut off the electricity right. fast, right? Right, absolutely. All right, now let's get to the fun stuff. Okay. Where do you, guys, where do you like to hang out in Healdsburg? Well, that's a good question. Um, I have a family of four, so I have four kids. I spend a lot of my time with my children. They're on your one night out a week, where do you like to hang out? Uh, you know what I like to do is I like to, if I can get my, some time with my wife and get a babysitter, we'll come downtown and we'll do kind of, a, kind of a progressive thing where we'll go to one place, have a drink, we'll go to another place, have some tapas or an appetizer, and we go to another place and have dinner, end up with ice cream on the plaza. So that way we get a chance to kind of hit some different businesses, walk around, see people we know. Maybe see a movie. So basically, the fire chief is sampling. Yes. Now, of all the places that you like, name those places. Are you going to put me on the spot to name? Uh, of course I am. Absolutely. On. Okay. Well, it depends on depends on what you like. Well, you, you said know. tapas. Uh, okay. Well, um, see, I, I'm a little hesitant because there's I know a lot of business owners in town, and you really can't go wrong in this town. It kind of depends on the environment you want. But if you're looking for more of a, I don't know, a cultural, lively environment, maybe Campofina is a good place to go. If you're looking for a more kind of dining experience, uh, my wife and I really like to go to Villette. But oh, wait, when you go there, what do you order? Well, I, I haven't been there in a little while, and they, they do change their menu around. So I try to order stuff that I don't see very often or some if there's something unusual on the menu that i haven't tried that's what i usually go for rather than the standard fare and how's the ice cream in town there's there's some great ice cream in town right on the plaza really have you found it yet well there are two words when i hear ice cream that scare me you know what those two words are butter fat because the problem is the higher the butter fat percentage the more i'm going to like it and the more i'm going to need to take a seven hour nap if you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. 
you take a look at Sonoma County and you give up counting the number of winemakers. It's just amazing. And whatever you want, you can find it here. You just need to take your time because it's an abundance of great stuff. My next guest, he's actually the owner of the Journeyman Meat Company. Of course, what did he come today with the show? On the line. Because, yes, he owns the meat company, but he's also a winemaker pizza case. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? How long have you been doing the meat? We started, um, it was a project started about five years ago, and formally we opened up last August, but there's a lot of uh, work needed behind the scenes. So our production facility is here in Sonoma County, about 10 minutes north of Hillsburg, but the retail shop is here just one block over. But your history is, your family came here in the 1800s. Yeah, my, my great-grandfather was Eduardo Segazio, the founder of Segazio Family Vineyards. And uh, the family sold back in 2011 with great owners. But my father, during that long history, my father taught me how to make salami. And so after the family sold the business— Stop right there. All right. He takes you in the corner one day and goes, Pete, you need, a, you need something. You need a passion. Have a bite of this. Well, and it was, and it was the, the, we all, the old Italian families would always have the hog for after harvest. And so after the grape harvest, you'd slaughter the hog, you'd have, you'd have fresh sausage, you'd smoke your bacon, and, and you'd also make salami. And so that's what we would do in the winter months. That so was, you watched your dad do that? Watched dad do it. And, and, the, and dad, throughout the years, would always tell me, Peter, one day I want you to learn how to make prosciutto. And so, you know, uh, about five years ago, I did my trek to Italy, and I was lucky enough to be— You became a prosciutto apprentice. I was a prosciutto apprentice. I got to work with the Marini family. I've gone back every year in the w- middle of winter. February is a good month to travel because the, the, the wines are done with fermentation. The vineyards are asleep. It's a good time to go, and I would go and I would learn. But all the hogs are here. All the hogs here, yes. All, all of the salumi we make here, it's all from West Coast hogs, and it's, and it's made here in Sonoma now, County. In the days when I used to eat meat, I was a salami fanatic. That's why you got wine, because I, you know, that you was stop, the rumor. Stop. That was the rumor. But I'm still a salami fanatic, even though I'm not eating it anymore. And the stuff that I liked the most was the really dry, hard salami that was hanging up there for weeks. How long do you actually hang one of those? We go 30 days before we bring it into the shop, and then it's in the aging room in the shop. So it, it's upwards of 60, 70 days by the time that we're selling it. So it is pretty firm. Is it possible to hang it up there too long? You can go too far. And Salumi has a living flora. It, it is a con- it's a living probiotic entity that is going to continue to age and, and lose moisture depending on the environment that you put it in. And, and that is the... Salumi in a natural casing is really only perfect for about one week. So you really have to time it, or you have to take the casing off and cryovac it to stop it from losing moisture. But of course, my philosophy is, with enough honey mustard sauce, cardboard's going to taste good. You can go with that, but (laughs) but we prefer to time it. No kidding. So when you're selling me in your retail store, and we'll get to the prosciutto in a second, the hard, dry, aged... Salumi, how long has it been hanging up there? It's been hanging up there right around 70, 80 wow. days. So once you buy it at that point, it's time. It's time. Wow. It's time. And how much are you producing? We're producing about 2,000 pounds a month. Because remember, when you make, uh, you're going to lose 35 to 
of your raw weight through dehydration. Right. So and, and that's, that's why it shrinks. That's why it shrinks. So you can start. We have a we have a chamber that 500 pounds. We will finish up at 317 pounds for every rack of salumi that we make. How many different kinds of salumi are you making? Oh, my production team feels we're making too many. We're making about seven. So, but and, and like as an example, as an example, we do a Bianco, a Rosso. Uh, you have to have a Finocchione. Explain the Bianco. Bianco is made with indigenous. It, it, the Bianco and the Rosso are based upon the indigenous herbs here in Sonoma County for the last hundred years. Bianco has Chardonnay from Russian River. It has sage, fennel, rosemary, which all grow here in Sonoma County. The Rosso is juniper, anise, black pepper, um, uh, garlic, and red wine, Zinfandel wine. So the Bianco and the Rosso are a little different than what you would see with normal salami that's out in the marketplace. These these are these recipes were done really to reflect what's here in Sonoma County. What's the most difficult one for you to make? The most difficult one for us to make is the large diameter Parmigiana porcini. It is the it is the when you when you use Parmesan chunks of Parmesan in the meat. In with firm, it was, it, what's neat about salami is you're fermenting and you're aging. It's very similar to wine, and but when you're using chunks of cheese in the salami, it complicates the fermentation, and so that is the most challenging one to make sure that you get the proper bind, and so that one has been Madonna. That one's been tough. <laughs> that one's been frustrating. But if it works, it's, if when it works, it's amazing. But but there's been a couple of batches where it hasn't bound as well as it should, and 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 those, they have to be let go. So I'm sorry, but we're gonna have to let you go. <laughs> hey, even though your family sold the wine business, you're back in it. I'm back in it. It was important for me to teach my kids. So the, I make a small amount of of wine with my children under so that label. Do a San Lorenzo, and then we also have a Journeyman label. So that does Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. But this is a very, San Lorenzo is where my mother's side of the family is from. I know what you're doing. Wine and salami pairings. Yes, sir. I'm shocked. <laughs> Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. He's a native of Sonoma County. And... I'm already saying he's my idol because he still publishes newspapers. Thank you. I mean, please continue to do that. Ray Holly, the managing editor at Sonoma West Publishers. You got four. We have four weekly newspapers. So we have one that covers West Sonoma County, Sonoma West Times and News, and then three weeklies in the North County, the Cloverdale Reveille, the Windsor Times, and the Healdsburg Tribune. How old are the papers? The Healdsburg Tribune is 153 years old this year. Keep going. Been coming out every week for 153 years. I'm not sure how to do the math on that. It was actually a daily for a while. But the fact that it's still coming out to me is so great. I mean, I want to keep the post office. I want to keep libraries. I want to keep local bookstores. And I'm one of those guys, if you look in my bag, I get 16 newspapers and 35 magazines a day. I don't do anything online. I like holding it in my hand and reading. Thank you. We appreciate that. We need more people like you. Have you done online as well? We, oh yeah, we had to go online. We didn't really lead our readers online. We followed them. They were already there. Uh, we've had websites for probably over a decade, but really got into it a lot more in the last year 
we started a digital first concept. The problem with that is all of us are old print dinosaurs. And so we still wait, 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 really stop, are. Stop, stop. You're not a dinosaur. <laughs> Thank you. Don't say dinosaur. All right. We're uh, proto mammals. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we still operate on a weekly news cycle primarily. But you've been around long enough to see so many of the changes here in the county. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in South Santa Rosa uh, when uh, it was a quiet little town, and you could ride your horse downtown and get a frosty. I moved to Healdsburg uh, 30, actually be 30 years ago next month. Well, Healdsburg still reminds me of being that kind of town. It is. It is. There's a lot of uh, people here who've been here for multiple generations. We're experiencing uh, quite an influx of newer people, folks who uh, want to who can really live anywhere in the world. They have the means, the resources. Um, they come to Healdsburg wine tasting or because a friend told them, you know, after you go to Aspen, stop in Healdsburg next. And uh, they decide they want to settle down here. So it's a really interesting melange. Well, let me uh, make a bold question for you. I'm suggesting that you don't want to become Aspen. No, of course not. Uh, Aspen has to bus their workers in three hours one way in some cases. Uh, no, we don't want to do that. We are struggling a lot with providing workforce housing um, as the uh, housing prices skyrocket in the community, but we're doing our best. We're working on it. How do you manage the growth? Oh, the voters manage the growth. Uh, in the year 2000, voters voted in a growth management ordinance. Even the author of the ordinance has agreed that it's had a lot of unintended consequences. We've not had a duplex or an apartment building built in the last 18 years, mostly high-end housing. Well, to me, that's a plus. Um, it's not. It's uh, We're missing some rungs on the housing ladder. You know, people who start out, you know how it works. You Entry with, level. You live with your parents, and then you go live with some friends, and then you get your first place. You're forgetting one thing. Then What's you go that? back and live with your parents. Right. A lot right. of them do. Well, in this inflated housing market, of course they do. So... What are your challenges right now in the county? The challenges in the county, um, as I mentioned, are the high cost of living. Uh, we are growing faster than we can accommodate. We love our green belts. We have all the, the green areas around the cities um, protected by ordinance and by the voters. But then that implies you have to grow inside the city. And when we try to grow inside the cities, people don't like that either. Well, I have to tell you, every time I land... At the Charles Schultz Airport, I love it because it's sure. so manageable. It's it's a boutique. It's quaint. Everybody like operates like high, you know. The decent restaurant at the airport, it really is. And to me, that is the the probably the best welcome you could give people anywhere in the world is what the airport says when you land there. And here it's like get off the plane, walk 20 feet, high. That's it. Sure, but not everyone can afford to shop at a boutique. Some people need to go to Sears. And, well, they, well uh, they better hurry up because Sears is over. Right. Well, we're losing the mom and pop things, and that's a big issue for us. But we're working on it. You know, there's a lot of earnest people, a lot of smart people. But, well, but if I'm walking around Hillsburg right now, I'm not seeing major chain stores. We don't have any. There's a shopping center on the west side of town that has a lot of franchise stores and a couple of chains. But we actually uh, have an ordinance preventing chain stores in the downtown. They call them formula businesses. And I'm, I'm going to guess you also have a height ordinance. Uh-huh, 50 feet. That's it? That's it. So anything about four stories, 
you're in violation. Right. Well, you don't you don't get to build it. You don't get to be in violation. You you don't get that far. And that's part of what you like. Sure. Yeah. Everyone loves living in a small, manageable town that that feels good. We have a a lot of activists in town who are trying really hard to protect what they feel is uh, their vision of Healdsburg. I like to say that everyone thinks Healdsburg was perfect the day they arrived and that their job is to resist any and all change after that. Are you one of those people? No. I think uh, when I got here, there were still businesses on the plaza with plywood over the windows. Uh, the 80s was a tough time for Healdsburg. And um, that uh, I think we may have pushed a little too far on the cost of living and some of the other issues, but what's not to like about prosperity? Now, could you now ride your horse into Hillsburg and get a Frosty? Um, I could probably go get an artisan cone. <laughs> but the horse would be okay. Oh, I, I, they'd probably check to see if you were drunk. But uh, <laughs> we, we have, we'll have horses here in about three weeks when we have our future Farmers Fair Parade. That's a big uh, annual event in Hillsburg. So basically you have an ordinance here called RUI, Riding Under the Influence? I, I would imagine there would be. There's only one thing worse than that. Yeah, Cal GUI, galloping under the influence. Right. California Vehicle Code covers a lot of things. <laughs> What's the one thing you'd like to see absolutely preserved, other than the fact that you and I are both thinking, thinking alike about newspapers, to be able to maintain those? We're already working on preserving things. We call the plaza our living room. You know, Harmon healed in 1857 laid out these plots all around the community and he took the most valuable acre of land that he had and he gave it to us he deeded it to the community to the public and we have that plaza so we work hard to preserve it we're preserving fitch mountain which is right on the edge of the community we just preserved our uh grand old wooden baseball grandstands that were built in the 1920s now we're talking um, you buried the lead sorry about that how often are the games played uh, the Prune Packers play there all summer. The name of the team once again, please? The Prune Packers. You know, I, I, there's a line there, and I'm not going there. Okay. But I love the name of the team. I'm sure your listeners will go there. Oh, they're already there. Trust me. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I said we're in wine country, so how appropriate my next guest, third generation and a family owner of the Pedroncelli Wine Winery. And of course, her name has to be Julie Pedroncelli. Yes, it is. You know, I always love talking to winemakers who are owners uh, because it's part of the culture here. Yes. It is. I mean, you know, Napa, there's Napa and there's the Mendoza Valley and there we could go to the Loire Valley, but everywhere you go, as long as you keep away from the big corporations and talk to the people who really have the passion, you get a chance to understand the why and the process so that you can then, if you're lucky, understand and appreciate the product. Right. So let's talk about your family because it goes back how far? Started with my grandparents, Giovanni and Julia Pedroncelli, who bought a piece of property in Dry Creek Valley in 1927, mid-prohibition. 
and came with prices were low. Prices were low. It was a very good deal. And uh, yes, $11,000 for 90 acres of land, including 25 acres of vineyard, shuttered winery, and a home. So it was all set to go when? As soon as we're, well, we grew grapes until prohibition ended so we did we did that and and it supported the family my grandparents had a young family when they arrived there and and uh, then we went into the wine business once repeal rolled around you know it's like the story of Coors Brewery Coors Beer Mm. when prohibition happened what did they make they kept everybody on payroll and they made malted milk balls (laughs) because they had all the malt yes so you were you just grew grapes grew grapes grape jelly grape jam I'm sure my grandmother made up many jars of that. <laughs> but then around 19, what, 30? 33 three. repeal, yeah. and 34 is when we were able to go into the, the business of wine. And you did. We did. Did you know anything about wine? Did your grandparents? My grandparents, my grand, they came from a very northern part of Italy, so no, no winemaking there, but my grandfather learned from the ground up. He loved to farm, and that's, I believe, why he bought the winery and you already knew the climate was perfect it is for many many things especially grapes now if you go to Oregon all they want to talk about is Pinot Noir mm-hmm. what are we talking about at your winery at Dry Creek Valley it's Zinfandel for us it's it's the first grapes that were planted on the property um, since 1904 and uh, we've been growing Zinfandel there ever since so basically you go with what you know yes indeed <laughs> Let's talk about some more serious things. Mm-hmm. The optics over the last six months uh-huh. because of the fires. Right. Uh, most of my friends, when I said I was coming up to Sonoma, they thought it was a war zone. Mm-hmm. Right? Couldn't be more different than that. Uh, there are certain areas, of course, that were affected. But up uh, here in Hillsburg in Dry Creek Valley, uh, it's just as scenic as it ever was. And... How many wineries were actually impacted? There were very few. I can speak for Sonoma County, um, where I have, there's just a couple um, who were, were devastated. But other than that, a lot of the other wineries are still, still going along, still, still unaffected. And yet, a lot of folks still think they can't come up here. Right. We've received calls as recently as just a couple of weeks ago wondering if it was okay to make their travel plans. And uh, we gave them the green light. You gave them the green grape. Green grapes, green light, <laughs> green vineyards. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do wine in terms of a variety or a grape that didn't work? You know, being on a piece of property for 90 years will help you learn what grows well and what doesn't. And Chardonnay was one, it was too warm at our end, and Pinot Noir. So we let the uh, folks in Russian River Valley grow our Pinot Noir for us, and uh, the same with the Chardonnay comes from the very south end of Dry Creek Valley, where it's cooler. Now, the biggest challenge, I would think, of having a family-owned third-generation winery is still keeping it in the family. Of course. And we had great examples of first and second generation with my grandparents and then my father, Jim, and Uncle John. Um, they, they, were, they worked so well together. That legacy continues today with uh, my sisters and my husband and brothers-in-law and even well, fourth generation. Well, we're talking kids. Yeah, kids, they're coming. Yeah, they, we've got the fourth generation working there, my nephew, and I have a cousin who's part of the fourth generation who also works with us. 
I'm always one of those people who believes, whether it's a hotel, a B&B, a winery, there are three things that have to be applied if you're going to visit that area. You go up on Sunday night, come back on Thursday, stay away from the weekend, right? Yes. Designated driver. Mm-hmm. Most important. Yeah. Yes. And then don't try to do too much too soon. Because how many wineries are we talking about here? Oh, Dry Creek Valley alone has over 75. And if you include all the wineries in Sonoma County, I think that goes up to about four, over 400. So you have a lot of choices. You know, people, it's funny. There's Sonoma, there's Napa. Mm-hmm. When I go to Argentina, I go to Mendoza in Western Argentina, 880 wineries. Wow. Impossible to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And yet... There's passion there. Right. So let's talk about your passion outside of your own winery. Mm -hmm. Where do you like to go to hang out, to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Here in Hillsburg? You bet. Ah, Custeaux would be my favorite spot for breakfast. They're a wonderful bakery that is also multi-generational. I knew you were going to say that because later in the show, we're going to have him on. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yes. And for lunch, you know, there's all these great choices downtown here in Hillsburg. Um, One of my favorites is uh, um, Cafe Lucia. Um, It's a wonderful little Portuguese heritage spot and it's a wonderful patio. So it's so fun to eat outdoors. There's also Hillsburg Bar and Grill, which is I I love their salmon salad. It's, It's just delicious and is what I have every time I go. Dinner. You mentioned, wait, we'll get to dinner in yes. a second. You mentioned a Portuguese place. Yes. I knew all the Portuguese guys in San Francisco because that's where the fishermen were. Of course. So they must have moved a little south or a little north. A little north. They did. They did. A nice little family um, set up there. What do you order there? Um, though their cod is excellent. I would highly recommend that. Not the sardines. Well, I'm not much. I like cod better than <laughs> sardines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's switch to dinner. Sure. Um, for dinner, uh, a lot of fun to go to. If you want something light is uh, Kin Smoke. Um, that's a barbecue place, and it's a wonderful spot to get, you know, any from any level of barbecue you want. Uh, if you want to go a little more fine dining, I'd recommend. Oh, wait, I want, I want to go back to the barbecue place. Sure. When I think of Healdsburg, I do not think of barbecue. <laughs> well, these gentlemen put in a great spot, Brad and JC, and they, it's just a wonderful, uh, true smoked meats and, and all long cooked, and it's just delicious. Okay, now you can go to fine dining. <laughs> By the way, I hate the words fine dining. You know why? <laughs> yes. Because every time I go someplace, they want to show me their fine dining uh-huh. as opposed to their crappy dining. Oh, <laughs> All right. For delicious dining, how about we go that way? Villette. Villette is a wonderful spot. Um, uh, he, uh, Dustin and his brother are running a great spot there, and it's just one of my favorite spots. Now, in certain cities, of course, fine dining means you got to dress up. This uh, is not here. wine country casual. Yeah. So you can, yeah, don't have to worry too much about that. Just expensive jeans. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Why See, I know that. Now. <laughs> Let's get you out of your winery again. What wineries do you like? Ah, what are some of my favorites? I think, well, I like uh, Nall. Nall is a wonderful little family-owned place in Dry Creek Valley. Uh, uh, You'll find um, Frick, who is right around the corner from us, and he specializes in Rhone varietals. 
Hearts for 40 years. Uh, he just picked that and, and he has run with it. Um, Alexander Valley Vineyards out there in the, in the valley is a wonderful spot to visit and one of my favorites. So it's just fun to go outside sometime and taste what we call other people's wine. And you do. And we do. <laughs> you're not mystery shopping. You're just doing it. I'm doing it for the fun. Mm-hmm. Your production is still limited? Our, yeah, we do. We make about, uh, we're at the big end of small is how I like to describe our production. All right. Julie Petrocelli and basically the third generation family wine owner of Petrocelli Wine. Yes, it was a pleasure. Hello. Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. I would like to say, and especially applies now, we've saved the best for last. Uh, it's dessert time. Dessert time. It is. That's Will Seppi, the president of the Costo French Bakery right here in Hillsburg. You've been here how long? Me personally? Yeah. About 10 minutes. No, no, uh, come on. <laughs> Bakery itself, 1923. Our family moved here uh, 1978 from Southern California. So I'm going to just say one word for you, butter. Butter. Everything's better with butter, and we use a lot of it. A lot of butter every day. Laminated <laughs> croissants, make all of our laminated doughs with it. So the croissants are not only flaky, they are really buttery. They are really buttery. Absolutely. In fact, maybe I should run out of here and go get some. Uh, in about five minutes, I'll but, make you go out. All right, somewhere. done deal. Okay, fine. <laughs> but here's my question. Can you explain to me words that were not in our lexicon 10 years ago that now everybody's using because it's not necessarily a medical reason. People think they just need to say it, like gluten-free. Right, gluten-free. We are not gluten-free. <laughs> we have extra gluten. In fact, a lot of our products have a lot of gluten in them. Then I want you to change the name of the bakery. Yes, sir. Ready? Yep. Gluten for punishment. There we are. We can do it. Come on. Don't you love it? I love it. Uh, you, you know what? You could brand that. I, I'm sure we could take it what across really the world. Do, what you should do is just have a branded item there calling gluten Glu for punishment. I like that idea. And you know what? You'd sell out. Uh, we might every day. But you made a conscious decision not to do that, right? Correct. We did. I, I take that uh, the gluten-free uh, thing very seriously. I have no number of people with uh, celiac disease. And you're absolutely right us. about that. And it's not something to be, uh, I feel for those people. Um, literally, a little crumb here or there can send them into uh, tailspins for days on end. So Exactly. It's uh, the same with, the, with my friends who have the peanut allergies. I've seen many of my friends nearly die. Yep. Yeah. And, it's, and it's important. So we yeah. know what we do well, uh, and gluten-free is not one of them. So you have a warning sign in your bakery. Well, it says bakery when you come in. So... <laughs> we bake. We use flour. We use a lot of flour, a lot of butter. Would you say you use more butter than anybody else? I would say we use quite a bit more butter than the average business or average uh, household, for sure. Now, is there a kind of butter that you use? We use a couple different butters uh, produced here locally uh, by Clover Stornetta Farms down in uh, Petaluma area. They're one of our large vendors that we buy our butter from. gets incorporated into our products. You say many different kinds. I'm an idiot about this, so walk me through what works and what doesn't. Well, uh, water content in the butter, some things that we look for, um, and our pastry chefs and bakers evaluate all those things when they're making product and coming up with new product uh, periodically. Um, well, wait, stop right there. Yep. What's your newest product? Newest product we are working on right now, a Nutella-based croissant. So that's not even on the marketplace yet, but... Uh, 
It's uh, I got to try one the other day, and it was very good. Now, every time I have a chef on the radio show, I always ask them a similar question to what I'm going to ask you. Uh-oh, this ought to be great. What did you try that you thought everybody's going to love this, and it tanked? Good. And wait, and, wait okay. and the second question, of course, is what did you try? You said, do we have to do this? It sucks, and everybody wants it. And it goes off the chart, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have this rolled item we call a mocha florentine. People love it. My personal, not favorite. It's <laughs> filled with a mocha buttercream. Uh, very flavorful. That buttercream is very, very rich in there. Do you provide a stretcher? Hey, you need one, I yeah. think, after you have that. Yeah. In fact, I'll have to see if I brought one of those. If not, I can, I can go get one. Oh, God. Um, and those are dipped in dark chocolate as of well. Of course they are. So a lot of, uh, there's quite a bit of sugar content in that. Uh, and again, not very candid, not top on my list, but top seller in in the bakery okay and the one you thought that was gonna be the top seller this ought, completely went to the dumper uh this ought to be uh let me think about that one for a moment here that's a great question i need to i'll ponder that while we're going through okay you got it up. but i'm not gonna let you off until you tell I, me. I figured as much but you're still a small family-run bakery we are we are we've uh, mom and dad you know started bought the business i should say back in 1981 dad learned how to Baked bread from John Costo, and Mom sold the uh, the bread on the front counter, and that's how it all started. And they slowly grew. They just what kind of bread? Sourdough French bread is our main staple. That's what we've been well known for for many many years. With, so, a, with a thick crust. Thick crust on it, very hearty crust. So we bake those breads on a hearth oven uh, with some steam injection uh, that goes around them to develop that crust. Uh, and today our bread process has evolved. A lot of our breads we do today are two day uh, process where we use a long fermentation natural starters or sponges go into that the bread formed and a, and a loaf sits in a refrigerator uh, for 18 hours 24 hours and then it's baked off and that develops a profile now i got to ask you this question because in many countries around the world i check out the bakeries but i want to find out if i show up at 11 o'clock at night do i get it right out of the oven you get it right out of the oven are you open at 11 o'clock at night we are not open at 11 o'clock at night he Healdsburg's a smaller town. I know so, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we have a little bit of a challenge getting people through the door there at 11 o'clock. But your stuff doesn't have a long shelf life. No, our one-day shelf life. That's it. Yeah, we pride ourselves on baking fresh dinner. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.